good evening, everybody. It's been a pleasure to spend my day with you and to worship the Lord together. And it's my privilege now to serve you with this evening's devotional. However, even though I say it is my privilege, I must confess that I've needed to ask the Lord repeatedly to help me see it as my privilege. See, whenever it comes to preparing one of these, our flesh shows its remaining strength. There are all sorts of distractions that rise up to pull me away from this burden. And I feel ever so drawn to the comforts of modern life in the days that lead up to it. And I try to comfort myself with thoughts that you know, I've labored all the, all the week long and that I should be allowed to have the time to myself. And some moments, and these other moments that the the words of the accuser trickle in and attack my qualification to even undertake such a thing. And so in reaction to these, I constantly need to turn away from these thoughts and temptations and admit that they, have, they would have me neglect my duty to you and to God and to trust the Lord in the task at hand. And in short, I need to repent. Now I've broken one of the cardinal rules in an address like this which is the overuse of the word I, and seemingly to make this about me. So let me turn the pronoun table. I shared my story so as to invite you into the meditation. I do not need to know your inward thoughts to know that you, brother, and you, sister, share similar experiences. You who have the living spirit of God in you, feel the wages of war as it confronts your flesh. You have an experience of the, the, regret, of the regret of defeat where sin still has control over some aspect of your life. You too hear the smooth siren call of the world that beckons you to take sides with it. And you too, in response, have recognized the need to turn back to the Lord. Repentance is perhaps the most critical dis discipline there is. It is one of the most promising fruits the Christian can display to show their vital union with Christ. And this is not just a one-time event. It is a daily requirement, the side of eternity. So tonight we will be looking at a verse that I hope will encourage us in our repentance. And that verse is in the book of Hosea, chapter 6. So if you want to follow along, please open your Bibles there with me. In particular, we'll be reflecting on verse 2. So Hosea, chapter 6, verse 2. And to show the full context, I will read the surrounding verses 1 and 3. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. The book of Hosea is a book of judgment and warning to mostly the northern kingdom of Israel, though it does call out an indictment on Judah too. Through the book, God repeatedly reminds them of his graciousness to Israel and their perpetual habit of infidelity to him. In chapter 6 here, we get a brief response a word of recognition from within the hearers of a realization to repent and return to God in faith. 
in this encouraging response, which is sadly shortly observed, there are three encouragements from our specific verse that we'd like for us to reflect on together. The first is that God is a promise-making God. And the second and third observations are two promises of God. So let's look at them together. Firstly, let us note that God is a promise-making God. This observation is drawn from the repeated phrase, He will. He will revive us. He will raise us up. These are promises. Christians like to talk a lot about the promises of God. Unfortunately, in some circles of Christianity, they sometimes abuse the promises of God, and so perhaps this has made you wary of when you hear them mentioned. But it is important to press into the subject. When you ignore the promises of God, you begin to lose sight of the fact that he is a promise-making God. And if that happens, you begin to forget who God is and how he works. And when that happens, you walk as one without knowledge, and your walking will lead you away from him. This, in fact, was one of the very indictments that God leveled at Israel. They had forgotten his laws and gone astray from him. So it is right to be reminded that God is a God of promises. This reminder is to strengthen you through assurance. What hope would you have to think to repent unless you record that God is a God of promises and you were relying on his promise to bind up and to heal you in your repentance? What good is there in our despair unless the one we are turning to is powerful enough to save us? Our assurance to these things is that God is who he says he is. He is the sovereign creator of all things. He directs the matters and affairs of the cosmos and the human heart. He is both powerful and good, and he has told you that in his mercy, he will restore you to himself if you return to him in faith. So, take him at his word to do so. Additionally, the promises of God are something beautiful. When we consider rightly, even though dimly, who God really is, the all-powerful creator of everything, absolutely content in himself and dependent on nothing else, and then it becomes a startling thing that he should be mindful of man, especially sinful man. It is even more amazing when he engages mankind through covenant commitment at the sake of his name. God shows humility when he does this. Humility is that quality we all recognize as good and yet find so difficult to demonstrate with sincerity. But when we see genuine humility in someone, it moves us in a way that is hard to describe. So how much more so then, when we see the God of all create, creation acting in a self-denying way, when he upholds his commitments and shows his covenant kindness with humble actions, this most poignantly displayed for us in our Lord and Savior when he came to us in the form of a lowly servant to identify with us and our humanity. Church, here are the lengths our promise-making God will go. Let us not lose sight of that. Let us, with earnestness, take note of them as we read the scriptures. Marvel at their fulfillments and how they advance redemption history. Be excited as they reach a crescendo in the life and death of Christ. And store them up so that you can pray them with confidence that you are asking for things in accordance with God's will. And as it pertains to repentance, let them reassure you when you're in your moment of remorse that if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive them. Second observation, 
let us note what is promised, which is restoration. Our text says he will revive us. And to revive something means to restore something back to life or to consciousness. And when we talk about the first part of that definition, to bring something back to life, it is quite possible that we immediately think about regeneration. Regeneration is the new life that God gives by the power of his spirit that converts someone into a child of God. That this miraculous, singular event must happen is unavoidably included in this conversation. Nothing we are talking about here makes, has any basis unless regeneration takes place. However, I want to shift the lens to the more day-to-day experience of the believer, whether they are fully confident of their salvation or not. In the progressive experience of a salvation, we are either walking with the Spirit or we are walking away from Him and grieving Him. And when we do this, we find ourselves in the shadow lands of death. This is not a real death, but only a warning of it. Here we find ourselves in a state of discipline. In Hosea, in the preceding verses, God is described as an attacking lion to Israel and Judah for their disobedience. In verse 1, the start of our repentance verses this evening, we see that the purpose of that tearing and striking down was to heal and to bind up. In our verse, the promise to revive is the promise to restore. When you were once wandering far from the Lord, he gave you over for a time so that you might be reminded of the place where you came from, which is the realm of his fatherly favor. Like the prodigal child, you have found yourself in the muck and the mire. And the contrast of such a place to where you belong strikes you to your senses, and it beckons you to turn back to your heavenly Father. And so you should. Repent, and the promise is that he will restore you. For our third observation, let us note what is promised after our restoration, which is to raise us up so that we may live before him. To be raised up might seem a lot like our prior observation of reviving, but I would submit that it's more than that. Reviving is to bring you about and out of your useless state. And to be raised up is something subsequent to being revived. This hints at more than a restoration of life. It's an establishment for service. Here you are not pulled up just to be set on your feet and then left to your own interests. Instead, we find a purpose statement for the revival. And that is that you may live before the Lord. He is the one we are returning to. And he is the one that we press on to grow in knowledge of. What does it mean to live before him? Well, in some sense, it means we are near to him, to be in his presence. Here we are proudly bearing the name of the Lord in his service, and he is not ashamed for us to do so, for he has raised us up for such a purpose. To be raised up in this way is an incredible privilege. Here we are restored to the dignity of our created intent, which is to worship God and to enjoy him forever. And when we are fulfilling this mandate, We are his beautiful creation. Here, unlike in the Shadowlands, our actions are honorable and worthwhile. Here, we are being made fit for the heavenly courts that will one day descend upon us. But until that day comes, this house, this local church, is where we get to grow and live for this purpose. Where we were once wanderers in the world at large, ignorant of God and his law, he has restored us to his family and brought us through these doors. And even though egregious sin might result in our being cast out for a while, there is always a way back in, which is through repentance. 
We can be sure of that because it is based on the promises of God. And we should not forget that the promises of God have their efficacy for us because of what Jesus endured for us on our behalf. You see, the reason we can be told to repent and to believe that we will be restored to an exalted position in the household of God is because the Son of God became a man to represent us in our sin. And when the Father roared like a lion and struck and tore, those blows were taken on the back of Christ so that by his wounds we might be healed. We can be told to repent and to believe that we will be raised up and live before God because the Son of God was nailed to a cross and raised up to die the death we owed for the penalty of our sins. And three days later, the Father exalted Jesus even further to his right hand, where he is now pleased to rule and to ever make intercession for you and for me. So what better surety can we ask for? So, listener, if you're an ardent non-believer, unable to shake the guilt of your deeds, repent and believe the promises of God. If you're a recent Christian who was hoodwinked by the ease of the sinner's prayer, don't stop there. Repent and believe the promises of God. And if you're a long-journeying saint and you are despairing that so much of the old man is active in you, repent and believe the promises of God. He will restore you and raise you up to live before him. His coming to you will be as the spring rains that water the earth. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are very grateful for your word. We are grateful that you have not left us in darkness and silence, but that you speak and that you speak such tender and caring words. We pray, Lord, that we will take your promises to heart. We pray that we would believe that you are faithful in your commitment to keep them. We pray, Lord, that you would bring us to repentance, that you would help us to trust them, that we may believe that we will be revived and restored to a place in your courts and your household. These sins are above us, Lord, so we pray that you would encourage us through our lives together in this church. Grow us in holiness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.